And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, man. She. Welcome to Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the legend, the god, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King. And Jay, one week after rock bottom against the Washington Wizards, the Celtics hit rock bottom again, giving up a 24-point lead to the Pelicans. It is ugly. Their fourth quarter execution was garbage. It has been garbage basically going back to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat last year. Asked about it today. Brad was basically didn't have real answers for it. Just said that we got to be better. If they want to succeed, they do have to be better. But I can't explain it. Why? Why are they so bad in the fourth quarter? Oh, the the stat that stands out the most to me is their offense. They are 29th in fourth quarter offense. Only the Cavaliers have been worse during the fourth quarter. And and that's inexcusable for a team that has Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker. And I know it hasn't been often that the Celtics have had everybody healthy, but they have the go-to guys. They have the guys that command a ton of attention for them to be as bad as they've been in fourth quarter offense, it's unfathomable. It's, and it's, it's not, it hasn't been a trend of Brad Stevens teams until recently. For the most part, a lot of his teams, I mean, you can remember Isaiah Thomas, King, King in the fourth. He always lit up fourth quarters. That offense always lit up fourth quarters. Kyrie Irving, there was a time when his clutch stats were just otherworldly when he was in Boston. Kemba Walker last year, Jason Tatum last year, they executed well. They, I mean, before that Miami series and parts of the Toronto series, they were a team that could be counted on to get buckets in the clutch with a lot of the same guys that they had on, have on this roster. And so 
I don't know whether it's because of the supporting cast. I'm sure that that doesn't help. It's a lot easier to double hard off Tatum like the Pelicans did um, when when you don't really have to guard many of the other guys. But but it's 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 bad and it's cost the Celtics a lot of games this season. Yeah, I think they're they're pretty shoddy record again in games with clutch situations, and it's cost them against teams that they should be beating. Like the Pelicans are just not as talented of a team. They should really um, be racking up wins against those teams. You mentioned stars. It's Isaiah Thomas was clutch in the fourth quarter. Kyrie Irving was clutch in the fourth quarter. To me, this falls on Jason Tatum, and obviously, Jason Tatum. He knocked down the big, very big shot uh, to tie the game, send it to overtime, um, was clutch there. But the Celtics did not handle him getting trapped well, like at all. Like they, it felt like they didn't have the right guys to kind of make uh, themselves available to kind of play four on three against the other team. But it also, to me, didn't feel like Tatum was very quick to get rid of the basketball and um, kind of force other teams into rotation. When's the last time you can remember the Celtics putting another team in rotation? It doesn't feel like they're moving the basketball at all. And when a team commits two guys to Jason Tatum, it doesn't feel like the Celtics right now have an answer. I think part of that is it's much easier to kind of help off of uh, Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson. Like the two big lineup helps you out very little there, but you would expect I think I think you have to blame the kind of personnel that's on the court there, and then I think Tatum deserves some uh, criticism for. It just didn't seem like he had a lot of made a lot of the right decisions when, like, it was pretty clear they were going to be blitzing him for the rest of the game, and it didn't seem like the team made any adjustments. Yeah, the Celtics, like when you watch the super crisp offenses, it's always like when they spot an opportunity, the ball finds it. And and there's a just a a decisiveness to it. The Celtics just don't they don't have that. And and maybe that that sounds like a very subjective thing. And no, but it, it's right. It feels like they're surprised every time they send two at Tatum. And it's like, well, you should see this coming. Like, well, there should be a, a counter, an immediate counter to go to for that. And it doesn't. I don't know enough about basketball to like know who to blame on that situation because it could be Tatum just doesn't have a guy like vision for an open guy, or it could be Tatum's just making the wrong decision, but it just, there's no immediate answer. And Brad Stevens was talking about it today. Uh, for some reason he got asked about the Utah Jazz's offense and he was talking about how good they were at kind of reacting to being blitzed and playing four on three the Celtics don't play four on three. That's just not something that's a part of their offense right now because it doesn't seem like they know what to do at the point of attack. Yeah, it's 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 been ugly and and it it doesn't seem like they have the trust in it, like to trust the next pass. Like like if if Tatum gets it out quick, I'm not sure he thinks that whoever gets it next will do something positive with it. And and that's a problem. And and a lot of the times he's right, you know. <laughs> I mean, with with they the two, something positive. With there was there was one play that kind of stood out to me, and I don't want to fully blame this on Jalen Brown because it's not his fault. It's not any one person's fault. It's it's a full team wide failure. But there was one play when the Celtics did everything else right. Like Tatum got trapped and dumped it over the top to Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson threw a cross court pass to. Jalen Brown, 
All he had to do was swing one more pass to the corner, and Aaron Neesmith had a wide-open three. I'm not sure Jalen even looked at the corner. No, he went immediately. This was in your article today on The Athletic. Uh, readers can find a – you're great writing about the Celtics, but you're you're right. It, it feels like that was the right play, but the, it, the Celtics' offense this year has basically been – Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. And so I think your assessment that is don't have faith in the guys around them to make plays seems like a accurate one because so far those guys haven't made plays. Yeah. And, and instead of getting a wide open three, they ended up getting a contested fadeaway by Kemba Walker. That was super low percentage. And, and obviously maybe Aaron Neesmith misses that, but you have to trust in that pass. Like that is what, the double team is going to provide you have to you have to go with it and and that to me like that was the symbol of everything that was the the crux of the problem right there is the Celtics right now for whatever reason don't trust each other and haven't been able to execute in the fourth quarter and and that's kind of damning but I also like I don't think it's this is an issue that necessarily needs to haunt them all season like they have more than enough to score in the fourth quarter they once Marcus Smart gets back will have another option that probably those guys will trust a lot more than they trust Aaron Neesmith or whoever else is on the court and but at the same time like there's a lot of growth this team needs to do and and like that was example A, that things just aren't flowing smoothly for the Celtics right now. How much do you think they're hampered by the two big lineup? Because it really did not work down the stretch, despite over the past couple of games, some nice ties to Thompson, big to big, high, low passing. Like it's had its moments, but down the stretch, when the game kind of slows down, Tristan Thompson doesn't really give you anything uh, on the offensive end like in the half court, he's very good at the offensive rebounding. I, and I actually think he's had um, some better moments offensively, but he's not a shooter. He doesn't space the floor at all. Daniel Tice has knocked down some threes uh, this season, but he's definitely like the Pelicans were fine with him taking shots. Like you talk about the, the clutch stats, not really plaguing Brad Stevens teams in the past, but Brad Stevens hasn't really played double bigs. Uh, except for the kind of Al Horford, Aaron Baines teams. He usually plays a smaller five out where shooters everywhere. And last year, if you think about it, like what the Celtics were, they never really went to that small best five lineup, but they had four legitimate three-point threats and tice on the floor at all times. Now they basically, it's just Tatum, Brown, Kemba, and two bigs. I was confused by the kind of the minutes allocation Tristan Thompson played majority of the fourth quarter that Brad actually ended up going offense defense substitutions with um, Robert Williams and Tristan Thompson towards the end of that game. And then Robert Williams ended up playing all of the overtime, which I think is an indication that um, like Brad saw that as a, a better option for them on the offensive end of the court. What does, what is the solution there? Because they have, it's like I, a lot of people are quick to blame Brad, but it's not his fault that his fifth, sixth, and seventh best players right now all seem to be centers. Like, how do they kind of get out of that? And is the answer just going to Robert Williams more? Yeah. So before we get into the Robert Williams talk, and we will get into the Robert Williams talk, there's a lot to unwrap there. 
I, I want to just bring back to one thing you said about the closing lineup. One thing Steven said about the closing lineup today, which is that he thinks he needs to consider Aaron Neesmith in the closing lineup. And I think that's an acknowledgement from Stevens that the double big lineup, even though it's gotten better lately, presents more issues offensively late in games. And, and I mean, just having Aaron Neesmith as a floor spacer could help. And Stevens likes his energy, but it's not like Neesmith has been Mr. Execution or he has not shot Mr. the ball knockdown shooter yeah. during his time. I, he's shown some good things defensively. He's shown some good energy, but I, I think the fact that they're even considering Aaron Neesmith in a closing role while Marcus Smart is sideline is like, all right, there's, there's something missing on this roster. And, and that to me was kind of like damning that they're even considering that, but also it might be smart. It might be what they need to do. And it makes sense. Another guy who could put the ball in the basket occasionally, or will at least be a threat to put the ball in the basket. They need some spacing. They like, they needs to be some sort of punishment for sending two guys at Jason Tatum right now with no spacing. You're not going to get an open Tristan Thompson three. Like that's just not, he's not even going to be on the three point line. You might get a t- open Tice three, but if you can somehow put three shooters around Jason Tatum and then I guess Tice at the five with him being the guy who sets the pick, that seems just like much more dynamic of an offense. And I think the important thing is like you you would think maybe Peyton Pritchard would get some time because he's also proven to knock down some shots. But I just don't think you can go like have a clutch time defense with both Pritchard and Kemba Walker on the court. So having a guy like Neesmith who plays with a lot of energy – who is 6'6 and can actually guard and do some things, it's super valuable, um, and it's kind of the exact thing. We talk about wing depth the entire year. They don't have anyone who can really space the floor and play defense, and so it doesn't really surprise me, especially just given the results of like the two big lineup. Neesmith, Mr. Mr. Value. Let's talk about him before we get to Time Lord because he, he came up in conversation. He went from basically – not playing at all to now he is the first guy off the bench. Do you think that's just what it was? It's like, we need some shooting. We need some size out there. Like, let's see what the kid can do. What has he done to kind of prove himself or deserve this? And what have you seen from him in his kind of his sixth man role, I guess? Well, I think the first thing he did to deserve these minutes is that he was not a point guard and he was, not- <laughs> he was a wing. Yeah. And like, like, I'm kind of joking about that, but it's also pretty real that just by being six foot six and reasonably athletic, you can separate yourself from other options on the Boston bench. And then beyond that, he's just been energetic. Like he plays hard as hell. He's out there chasing guys down on the fast break. He's cutting with reckless abandon. He is offensive rebounds just like the pure hustle plays alone are like he deserves a chance to be out there yeah and he he's gotten more and more comfortable i think defensively and and as he does you can see the hustle and the athleticism and the size and length become more impactful and so he's made promising strides um it, basically he's doing everything but what everyone expected him to do during his rookie season which is make shots consistently and he's shot better of late it hasn't been bad 
But, but he only yeah. ends up shooting like two threes a game. It's not like he's a high-volume guy at all at this point in his career. Yeah, he's just a guy who's going to play hard and occasionally shoot a shot or two. But, you know, the Celtics need that. They need a 6'6 guy who can play hard. And and that's that's helped to separate him. And so yeah, I, I think he's been promising though. And and the the fact that he does play with all this heart and energy and like that's that's very promising because if he does shoot, as a lot of people think he will become a shooter, then you know, Aaron Neesmith has a look of a guy who could be pretty good. Yeah, but I think you're right. His ultimate the thing that has gotten him minutes is not being a center or not being a guard. Like they just need someone on the wings. Shemi Ojale has been uh pretty decent, but I just don't think he has the like the athleticism or to be the quickness to be that great of a perimeter defender. He's certainly um strong enough to kind of guard guys in the post wild to see him just get bodied by Zion. Zion is a massive human being. Um, we can yeah, talk. When he pulled over Tristan Thompson for that. And one, it was like, Oh man, <laughs> it is like she's a burly dude. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I don't know how you guard him, but it was pretty cool to see Robert Williams block the shit out of Zion uh, down the stretch. Robert Williams only played, I think I mentioned this earlier, two minutes in the fourth quarter, then ended up playing all of overtime. Those two minutes came basically as he was going in just for offensive possessions I think the team needs more time Lord. I just think he is so much makes their offense so much more dynamic. The vertical spacing, the alley-oop dunks, he seems to be playing better on the defensive end and it just feels like the the team is that much better with him uh out there on offense. I don't really like him and Tice like I the you don't have to go double bigs like Robert Williams out there surrounded by four shooters is much better. But I'm not sure why Tristan Thompson's getting more minutes than Time Lord at this point. Robert Williams like rarely plays more than 20 minutes in a game. And I guess that's to be expected with Tice being your starter and Tristan Thompson being the guy you brought in for a full mid-level. But it feels like, I mean, Robert Williams has gotten more opportunities as the year has gone along. But it, I just think he's ready for more at this point. And the ceiling of this team feels like they're much better when Time Lord plays well and they need to kind of let Time Lord figure it out rather than keep going to Tristan Thompson, who just is a zero for me on offense, just doesn't really help you out. And if he's getting bowled over by Zion Williamson, I'm not sure how much he's helping. To be fair, in the first half, he was awesome on Zion. Tristan Thompson played Zion about as well as probably anyone has played Zion all year during the first half. Uh, I was going to give all the credit to Daniel Tice because it fits my narrative better, but I think the team played pretty well against Zion in the first half. Tice and Thompson were working very well together with Thompson normally on ball and Tice normally off ball. And that's what Brad said is like, that's why we went to those two guys. It was like, we tried to get them in the game as pretty much any time Zion was in the game. Yeah. And and so I get that, but I mean, Robert Williams has kind of forced the issue and I'm not sure the Celtics expected this this season because if they did expect it 
Tristan Thompson probably should not have been their target on the free agency market. Obviously, Williams had injury issues and consistency issues and stuff like that. But signing Tristan Thompson and then having Robert Williams, if not outplay him, at least come very damn close, has been a problem. And it, I think, I think Stevens has kind of acknowledged that Robert Williams needs to play more minutes as the season goes on. And I think which the, it's it, only going to mean more two big lineups because like part of the reason you play Tristan Thompson and Tice together is to like get both of those guys minutes. So then you can bring in Time Lord. It's they just their roster makes no sense right now. But I'm not sure they can stick with the two big lineups too much longer because Marcus Smart will come back and then you're not going to be starting the two big lineup. And then trade deadline is going to come on March 25th. And Danny Ainge has already said he wants to get someone who shoots it with size. And if you get someone who shoots it with size, let's say a power forward, maybe a Harrison Barnes type, then that's more minutes that you can't give to two big lineups. And so I think the two big lineup has been something they go to, but that's not a permanent thing, I don't think. I don't think it can be a permanent thing. I think as – and then Romeo Langford's going to come back. That's another wing you got to rotate in or, or consider rotating in. And so the the lack of depth on the wing isn't going to be the same for a lot longer. And I think Stevens will go away from the two big lineups. And at that stage, is, is Robert Williams going to play more? Is it going to be him and Tice? What are they going to do with Tristan Thompson? I, I think, it, like, it's just it, – it's going to be interesting to see whether they go with Robert Williams. And I think he's more – more mistake prone than the other guys, but he's cut out some of that. He's, he's become focused and more focused and, and more solid. And, and like you said, the ceiling that he brings both individually and to that team, especially offensively is just different. Like you saw the, the Jalen Brown alley-oop to Robert Williams. In transition, where with Shemi Ojale giving the the hands on his head, like the perfect perfect reaction, that was a classic reaction from Shemi. But like Jalen doesn't throw that pass to anyone else. That possibility was only open because Robert Williams flies. They throw lob passes to Rob Williams that are just are have no no business being caught. But it's such like a a bailout thing for them that's just like all right throw it like if you draw that second defender even a, a little bit you just throw it up and time lord's going to dunk it and i like describing him as having a high ceiling because it emphasizes his vertical spacing um but i don't remember what i was going to say i just really wanted to get that uh that joke in and now i'm, I'm kind of lost for it the question i have i got it back i got it back Mustard. um considering that you you like all the guys they have to Factor back into the lineup, Marcus Smart, possibly Romeo Langford. You just can't imagine them really playing three bigs. That would mean, like, personally, you would want Tristan Thompson to be traded for that kind of the guy Danny Ainge is talking about. But obviously, Robert Williams, because he's younger, because he has a higher ceiling, has much higher trade value. What do you do if you are the Celtics? Are you willing to part ways with Robert Williams to get back a piece who you think is going to kind of be on the team for a couple of years, or 
do you kind of say, I don't know, or the Nets are just one five in a, an entire West Coast swing without Kevin Durant. We're, we're not going to win this year. Let's like not give up on the future of Robert Williams for a, a guy. I don't know. It's hard to value. Obviously, you're going to get a bigger return for Robert Williams, but how much do you value him as a piece moving forward to kind of put next to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll, a lot of that is how much do they trust in him to continue developing? And honestly, since the first two days of his career, the returns have been pretty good on the the work ethic that he's shown and the the work that he's put in. And then the other thing that that's I, I think still uh, iffy is is his health. He missed two games with the hip issue that sidelined him for three months last season. And so I think there is something to be said about having a security blanket. But I also think that, you know, even if the Celtics do look to trade Tristan Thompson, let's say, Grant Williams can play center. You you know you can trust Grant Williams at center. And I know things have been tough for him sometimes at power forward. I know – like he hasn't had the second year that maybe a lot of t- people anticipated after he earned playoff minutes and handled them pretty well as a rookie. His main role this year is to play on the second night of back-to-backs. He never plays the first night. He only plays the second night of back-to-backs. That's his go-to thing. Yeah, but but I think like he can play center. And and if if Robert Williams runs into injury issues or whatever, like you could throw Grant Williams out there at center. I don't know what this how the Celtics will will prioritize all of that and I don't know like whether Tristan Thompson's salary could be used in in some sort of deal obviously Tice is a free agent after this season so that complicates things too um but I do know that if if they don't give Robert Williams more minutes it could be a mistake and it seems like he's just becoming more impactful and it's becoming hard to ignore the upside that he provides, especially now that he's started to show that more often and and kind of his floor has has been raised, I think. I think that's the, the biggest improvement with him this year is like last year he had stretches where he was unbelievable blocking and getting steals and getting the Celtics out in transition and slamming home dunks. But this year, his worst is better. And I think that's that's been really important. Mentioning Daniel Tice being a free agent makes me, like, gives me even more reason. Like, you want to keep Robert Williams on the roster. He's still on his rookie contract. You still have kind of control over him. Daniel Tice is making $5 million a year this year. He's going to make way more than that, being at least a B-plus player for some other team. And I just don't think the Celtics have enough uh, cap space to really retain Tice. Something we will he get way more than that. You, you don't think Daniel Tristan Thompson just got nine million dollars a year? You don't think Daniel Tice is going to double his salary uh, in his next contract? You don't think Daniel Tice is going to get ten million dollars a year? I think he could definitely be a mid-level guy. Um, but the center market's really weird. It's always really weird. Like the guys who get the money and the guys who don't. Sometimes it just feels wrong. Like Dwayne Dedman is getting paid like $13 million a year while other more impactful centers go for a lot less than that. I feel like Tice has proven himself. He's certainly not like the size of a traditional five, but he's proven himself 
the past two seasons. And I, I think a team would be dumb not to pay him that much money, especially next year. I don't, I think a lot of teams are going to have uh, some salary cap uh, and they're not a lot of stars on the market. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tice got a lot of money. All right, before we get to the potable six pack, we're going to play a game. I just invented in my head and it's called the blame game. Celtics fans are upset. They're frustrated. The Celtics themselves are frustrated. Everyone is mad. They're mad online. This team is 500. And because they're mad and because they think that their own personality and their own well-being is tied up with the Celtics, they need to lash out at other people. And so, Jay, we're going to join them. We're going to put the play the blame game. Let's put it on one person. Maybe we'll put, spread it around to a couple of people. Celtics Twitter is very quick to blame Brad Stevens uh, for the Celtics' uh, shitty fourth quarters, and they're, everyone's quick to say that they are ro- like know their rotations. But how much of the blame, let's do this in percentages, is on Brad Stevens for the Celtics being 500 at this point in the season? Uh, 40%. 30, no, not even, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's not, look, he, he's been hamstrung by injuries. He's been hamstrung by an imperfect roster. He's been hamstrung by a lack of shooting and a lack of options around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He's been hamstrung by the inability of Kemba Walker to come back and play at a high level even after he missed games. Kemba has looked a lot more explosive lately, by the way, which is a good thing, even though he missed a lot of shots against New Orleans. But when when you look at all of the issues that Stevens has had to deal with, I think his performance is pretty understandable. And I think sometimes night to night, you can see a rotation issue or a – I mean, you can certainly – blame him if you want for the lack of fourth quarter execution but that's never been a problem for his team before and I find it hard to pin that on him when that's always been one of his team's stronger suits and so I don't know maybe I'm cutting him too much slack but I just feel like this has been a tougher job than a lot of people are acting like you're not cutting them uh, enough slack in my eyes. I mean, hand up. I'm very biased. I've, I'm a Brad Stevens stan. I think he's a very solid coach. But the blame, if you want to blame anyone, not the players, like it's got to go to Danny Ainge. This roster makes no sense. I just checked my, my Twitter mentions literally during the middle of your answer about this. And my latest tweet at me is from the Jeff Gomez 71. Brad needs to be held accountable at some point. I guess that's what we're trying to do here, but people blame him for their performance against the Wizards on Sunday where it's like the team had no effort. That feels ridiculous to me. Like people feel like they will watch Hoosiers and it's like they expect Brad to give like a rah-rah inspired speech to get guys to play harder. I feel like takes like that are insulting to the players. Like these guys are professional basketball players if they need a guy yelling at them to kind of like get up and try, I just don't think that is like, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. I think you can say you can criticize Brad Stevens for his offense, for the lack of uh, execution in fourth quarters. But if you look at the Pelicans game, Kemba Walker got some open shots and they just didn't fall down. Jason Tatum 
got one-on-one and Josh Hart in the post and he did not uh, execute and came up short, I think three times. Jalen Brown was seven of 23 for against the Pelicans. So a guy who's proven himself to be an all-star this year just didn't really knock down any of the shots you kind of expected him to. There's only so many things that Brad can do when guys are missing open shots. And it's not like I think the the team has quit on him. That's another thing. Uh, good friend Gary Washburn said uh, in the Globe, I think, last week that the team is tuning him out. I don't know what evidence there is for that. I don't uh, know. Maybe Wash has some inside sources that I don't, but – what are your thoughts on like the the idea of the the Celtics just not responding to Stevens at this point? I think the the reason that that's popped up is probably because some of the things that he emphasizes a lot, like ball movement, just haven't been there on a regular basis, and and when like so isn't that on the players for not executing or like isn't that on your stars? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for, I mean, the play you brought up with, he didn't find Aaron Neesmith in the corner. There was no ball movement there. What can Brad Stevens do to make Jalen Brown pass that ball? Like, shouldn't the responsibility fall on the guys actually making the decisions rather than the uh, Brad Stevens and like giving them advice in the huddle? Are you going to bench Jalen Brown because of that mistake? I'm sure it'll be brought up in film, but like at what point does the responsibility fall on Tatum and Brown. I feel like Tatum and Brown get a lot of credit because they're playing at an all-star level, but they somehow skirt all criticism when games happen like this. Fans immediately jump to Brad Stevens, and then they'll immediately jump to Kemba Walker, who he missed a number of shots, open shots that uh, he normally makes. He's played a lot better uh, since he's been back, but it feels like because they have these two young established superstars, it's everyone else's fault when the team uh, doesn't succeed, and when they do succeed, it's all Jason Tatum and all Jalen Brown. If you two are, if they're going to be the stars of the team, they need to take just as much responsibility for the failures of the team as they do when they get the success. That's the ultimate Kaizen mindset. You can't get too high, you can't get too low. That's why you stay right at five hundred. Yeah, I think I think there's pro- probably some truth, a lot of truth to what you're saying, and there's some truth to the fact that outside of Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker. There just isn't a lot of skill on this Celtics team. There's, there's blame Danny uh, Ainge. That's the obvious solution. Is blame Danny Ainge. Yeah, and I think I think it's fair to blame Ainge for the supporting cast this year. I don't think he's done making tweaks. Um, but when you look at how they replaced Gordon Hayward, they signed Tristan Thompson, who could be their third best big right now. And Jeff Teague, who's out of the rotation. And and so they're getting nothing. Nothing from Teague. They're getting some from Thompson, but but they they clearly don't have like a lot of the tools of a modern NBA team. And I do think that's that's partly on on Ainge and and an inability to react and build a, a good enough team after Hayward left. And, and look, they, they still haven't used the trade exception. They're, we still haven't seen kind of the full reaction to him, his departure. And I think that, that that will, however they use that trade exception, could change how we view their response to that. But 
but right now the two offseason acquisitions have have just not been good and that comes on the heels of of the Celtics, you know, losing Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and Gordon Hayward and squandering uh big hopes of of building a sustainable championship team and they still could build a championship team but this team right now as presently constructed in Danny Ainge's eyes and the eyes of everyone who can see is is not a championship caliber team and so at I the think, same time, though, he drafted Neesmith, he drafted Peyton Pritchard, who have both seemed to be, like, decent NBA players. But, I don't know, I was just trying to insert some positivity there. But you're right. He's been – it's been kind of a cluster uh, this offseason. And, and and I think – I mean, over the long run, Ainge has been a great GM. And if you look at what the Celtics have accomplished over the last four years, they've been to the Eastern Conference Finals three times. Many teams would want to be in their shoes with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I think the the most the best thing Ainge did was to give this team several swings at building a contender. First there was the Kyrie and Al Horford and Gordon Hayward swing, and that 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 swing hasn't panned out. They set themselves up to chase another star like Anthony Davis. That didn't pan out. Now they have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and there's work left to put a worthy roster around those guys, but they still have building blocks there. So, so they're you still th- the benefits from all of Ainge's good moves. But I think also it's fair to point out that the last few years, um, the talent has, has been diminished and the Celtics have gone from having a bench full of guys who are very capable. Look at what Terry Rozier is doing right now to a bench full of guys who are still not necessarily good enough or very young in their careers and still haven't proven themselves. Do you think that Ainge deserves any criticism for trying to take too many swings? Because they never really settled on a timeline. They tried the, they basically gave up IT, Jay Crowder, what the eighth pick would be to go hard for Kyrie Irving, knowing that they had these Brooklyn picks. The Kyrie Irving situation really didn't work out. And then, um, so they lose uh, Kyrie, they lose Al Horford. And rather than taking maybe a step back and uh, waiting for Tatum and Brown to progress even further, they go to and sign Kemba Walker, which kind of limits their ability to sign Gordon Hayward or get other free agents and uh, means you have to let – Hayward go or just a number of players. And so I think we give Ainge credit for the team being somewhat successful uh, over the past five years. But do you think they would have benefited from maybe trying to do more of a rebuild, but having more capital to where you're not basically entirely reliant on a trade exception this year uh, for your contender status? I I think it's hard because they didn't know Tatum and Brown were going to be this good this quickly. And so it's hard to kind of bank on that. And in hindsight, it's much easier to say, oh, yeah, let's not go after um, Kyrie or Kemba and just kind of like build around, wait to build around these guys. But it feels like they're, they've been trying to be contenders for so long that they kind of have hamstrung themselves now where Kemba's salary is not great, if he, especially if he's not going to be this consistent and you're paying him for another two seasons after this. I remember after the year when 
uh, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were both injured. And the Celtics went to the Eastern Conference Finals and almost made it to the finals. I remember someone bringing up the idea, I forget who it was, that the Celtics front office should at least consider trading Kyrie Irving and just pivoting to a full rebuild around Tatum and Brown. And I think with with the value of hindsight, like if they'd done that, then they might be in even better position today or or we can go just last year trading Gordon Gordon Hayward like at at the same time like it's it's hard to do that when like look at that roster that roster we're gonna we're gonna look back on that roster and just be like holy shit they they won 40 how many games with that roster like Terry Rozier is scoring 35 every night lately Gordon Hayward has been very good in in Charlotte. Um, Al Horford was awesome at that time. Kyrie Irving is one of the most gifted players on earth. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Luke Ford, Morris. Like Aaron Baines. That team was loaded, fully loaded. And, and so it's hard to move on from that. And it's hard not to try to pursue that when you have all those guys at once. And for – a long list of reasons which we're not going to rehash right now that that never panned out but it's like it's it's hard to fault the Celtics for trying to straddle those timelines when like if they had been able to capitalize on that they would have had such a great great team and because of timing and with Hayward and timing with other stuff it just never panned out and then Hayward the Hayward situation I think is going to be a tough one for them because they obviously put a lot of eggs into that basket and wanted to keep him around and it's been they haven't replaced him they haven't come close to replacing him and and now you know the the clock this is very dramatic but the clock is ticking on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and they've got to find a way to build a good enough roster over the next four years to convince those guys to stay long-term and convince them that, that Boston is the right place for them. Yeah. And it's there's hard. Pressure. To... There's, there's pressure. And it's it, four or five years in the NBA is, is a really long time, but it also comes quick. That's some, that's some sage wisdom there from the kid. I think it's hard to evaluate the Hayward situation without knowing what they get back for the trade exception, but um, and we have no idea. And so I'm not going to spend time recklessly speculating about the same nine guys who have been talked about for the trade exception, but it's very difficult to know whether or not that decision was correct. But in hindsight, it looks like they could have survived an Easter conference playoffs last year without Hayward and maybe probably could have survived, had a better bench, uh, better guys. And so I like the idea in, in, uh, in hindsight of trading Hayward at last year's deadline, but it didn't happen. We'll see what they get for the trade traded player exception. And the Celtics will continue playing basketball games. They just keep on playing the Mavericks and uh, the Hawks again coming up. And so we will be there to talk to you guys all about that. But before we go, Jay King, you know what's coming. I know what's coming. It is the Potable Six Pack where me and you select the six best things, most important, most interesting things to come from the past two Celtics games are you prepared or do you need me to go first? 
I'm going first. Shemi Ojale's reaction to Robert Williams <laughs> is done. That is automatic pick. The easiest pick I've ever had. It was perfect. He looked astounded. I think we were all astounded. Even though we expect Robert Williams to do rare shit when he does, it's still eye-opening. It was a completely like natural reaction. He was legitimately just shocked that Time Lord got that high. It was like a completely involuntary shock and awe on Semi Ojale's face. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, great first pick. For my first pick, I'm going to go with J.J. Redick getting ejected for an aggressive bounce pass to the refs. He just put... A little too much spin on that. He got a tech like three minutes before for saying something to the refs. And then he just threw that real aggressive spinny bounce pass and he got run and it was hilarious. He was out there bowling for refs. It, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he deserves that. Absolutely not. But it was hilarious. <laughs> he did like, he did throw an unnecessarily aggressive spin. He put some English on it. Like he didn't need to do that. But you should not get thrown, and it wasn't a great pass. Really, it hit the legs and uh, the ref in the legs. It was a bad pass. But you do not get a technical foul for putting some sauce on a bounce pass. It's just absolutely absurd. It was a lot of sauce. He heavily sauced it up. I mean, I think, and that brings me to my second one. What the hell were the refs doing uh, at the end of that Pelicans game? We had a review on a off-ball foul call. The overtime lasted forever. There was a rev- the review on that off ball foul was insane because the Celtics ultimately got punished for that. It didn't end up mean anything because uh, they won the jump ball, but they call a foul, uh, and then Kemba Walker is in the air and jumps and passes it to Jalen Brown. But they overturned the foul call because they realized they got it wrong, but also ruled that they blew the whistle while the pass was in the air. And so the timing of that just doesn't make any sense to me. And so oh, the Celtics get that, that was absurd. It oh, was absurd if the ball is in the air. That that's like saying that a team doesn't have possession because the ball every time the ball is in the air. So the shot clock should be reset every time the ball is in the air because nobody has possession at that point. It was insane. Like the ball, it's not like Kemba. You know, it's a great comparison because if the like Kemba Walker Walker threw a pass and Jalen Brown caught it. At no point did the Celtics not have possession. That should have just been a side out of bounds. I was so confused, like, why the Pelicans challenged that. And everyone on Twitter was like, oh, it's a dumb challenge because at worst it just becomes side out, like sideline out of bounds. It didn't make any sense in the world to me. And I just thought the the whole end of the game was poorly officiated. People are arguing that Zion stomping Tristan Thompson could have been an offensive foul. I don't think that as much, like, let the guys play on, but – I thought Tristan Thompson got hammered on so when he was going up for some offensive rebounds. It was just a pretty sh- shitty officiated game. I'm glad we're not talking about it till now, but uh, it was some nonsense at the end of that game. And so that's my second pick. Reviews take way too long. Your floor is yours. I'm trying to decide between two things. I guess I have two picks. <laughs> you do have two picks. Pick. You don't have to decide. <laughs> first pick, Jason Tatum floater. Float game. Um, obviously it got overshadowed because the Celtics lost in overtime, but that was silky. It was a silky shot to send the Celtics into overtime. It was 
And and it's a shot that he used to suck at. He was just horrific at floaters when he started trying them near the beginning of last season. I'm not sure there's ever been any great player worse at floaters than Jason Tatum was at the beginning of last season. He's come a long way with that shot. It and it was it was pretty. He was fading away from the hoop. It was a big man contesting, soft, delicate touch. Just a beautiful shot, even though it didn't end up mattering. Um, now I'm just going to go with Aaron Neesmith hustle. That motherfucker just hustles. It is, it's fun to watch just the hustle. That's, that's King of the chase got. down block. King of the chase down block. That's He's involved in every play. Is very evident at all times. That's fair. I think it's the second consecutive episode where Aaron Neesmith hustle and chase down blocks have been included in the six pack. I think I drafted his hustle two two six packs in a row. I mean, you, you got to respect the guy's hustle. Uh, I'm going to go Tommy with for drafting him twice in a row. What was that? Tommy point to me for drafting Aaron Neesmith's hustle twice in a row. I don't think you get to allocate yourself Tommy points. I think people are uncomfortable with uh, Scal allocating people Tommy points. I don't think Jay King gets to give himself Tommy points. You can maybe give Neesmith Tommy points, but you you showed no hustle in picking someone you've already picked before. Show me some respect. I respect <laughs> hustle, and therefore I should be rewarded with hustle points. All right, to round it out, to finish it off, I'm just going to go with Kemba Walker kind of being back. I know he had a bad game against the Pelicans. He missed a number of open shots, but he scored 28 points on Friday night against the Hawks. He seems to be finishing around the rim, which is just not something he's done or early in the season, especially that quick little uh, layup when he uh, gets some space, just a little bit of space over some bigger guys. Kemba was 10 of 16 in the Hawks game, 5 of 8 from 3. I think he has it in him. His bounce is clearly there. Smiles Magoo, just smiling throughout everything. I just think he's he is back. He had a very bad game against the Pelicans. I'm not going to make any excuse for that, but I do think he's playing much better, and I think the Celtics uh, will be in better shape moving forward with him because I think he's on the right track. I, th- I think so too, and obviously it stood out that he missed some open shots late in the game uh, and his his late game numbers weren't great but the more promising sound like you said he, he keeps getting to the rim he, he's blowing by guys again he's getting to the hoop he's creating space and and uh, honestly long term that's going to matter a lot more than holding a 24 point lead against the Pelicans. And hopefully he can get it going. He does play Trey Young again, which seemed to help him out uh, on the offensive end. They're also playing the Mavericks on Tuesday, who have not been the best defensive team this year. And so we will be with you after both of those games on Thursday to record another podcast. Thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed, please tell a friend, subscribe, give the show five stars. And thank you for listening to this episode of Yeah, buddy.